When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. Before we begin, just a reminder, we know these are really tough times. So to stay true to our mission and help investors, we've just reduced the price of subscription to Real Vision Essential to $99 for the year. And the plus tier is $400. And that is going on until the end of October. So get ahead and jump on that. All right. Now let's head to the show. Will earnings surprise to the upside? Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Here with me today is Mish Schneider, Director of Trading Research and Education at MarketGage.com. Hi, Mish. Hi, Maggie. It's so nice to see you. We were we were chatting right before the show, and I was saying we're so grateful because you can talk about everything, and I, I kind of feel <laughs> like we need to talk about everything. But let's start with stocks because we saw U.S. equities rally ahead of what's going to be a really busy week for earnings, and that was interesting because there'd been a lot of trepidation ahead of that, I felt like. So we've got Apple, Alphabet, Amazon, Microsoft, Meta, I mean, all the biggies coming up. It, when you looked at the action today, did you get the sense that maybe investors were kind of rethinking that and anticipating slightly better news, or does today feel more technical in nature? I'd say maybe a little bit of both because we started out on the heels of a PMI that softened a little bit. So even though we have absolutely zero evidence of a Fed pivot, everybody immediately jumps to the conclusion mm -hmm. that the Fed is going to pivot. And so, you know, just to get the Fed conversation out of the way, we can say that my anticipation is that the Fed may slow the rate of change in terms of how fast they raise the rates, but that's a lot different than doing a pivot. And there's no reason why they should pivot at this point. So um, even with a softer PMI, we do have PCE numbers coming out at the end. So I think that that's where the fundamentals came from. And earnings so far haven't been nearly as disastrous as people already thought, starting with the bank earnings that we had a week or so ago. So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens yeah. with these big earnings. But I'd say the technical part of this is very much a factor. And we can talk about that, particularly if we want to look at our uh, economic modern family here. Yeah. So, and and this is, um, we, we sort of love when you do this because you sort of break it down and, and it gives you kind of a glimpse across sectors and the economy. So what, uh, you know, that idea that earnings didn't fall apart, okay, that's fine, but do, are we just postponing it? You know, is it just going to be that much worse next quarter? And are things as bad underneath the covers as they appear to be, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't really want to get into my projections yet, but in terms of what's coming, because I don't think that we have a good time coming in terms of all of the policies that have been put into place, everything from not only Fed policy, uh, but geopolitics and government spending and climate stuff that's happening with Mother Nature, et cetera, et cetera. The China thing, which I know was something that uh, everybody's talking about today. But just looking right here at the actual modern family, I think you're going to get a really good story. And that's obviously what this whole modern family is about, is to tell a story. So what are they telling right now? What you're looking at is the weekly charts. 
And so I think the biggest picture we have right now is what's going on with the Russell 2000. And that's because when the Qs and the spies crashed a couple of weeks ago, IWM held the June lows. So Mm -hmm. that was significant. What was also significant, and we'll go back to IWM in a moment, was that transportation, IYT and granny retail, XRT and IWM on a longer term chart, which uses an 80-month moving average, which measures about a six- or seven-year business cycle, almost to the tick. It was actually kind of scary and delightful at the same time, if you're a technical trader, held that six- to seven-year business cycle, which means we tested the low of a bullish cycle that we've had going back for a long, long time, except for that big brief break during the pandemic. So that could make the argument for a soft landing, Right. But on the other hand, it could also make the argument that if it breaks next time, you know, all all bets are on the on the table for a much deeper recession potentially. So so that's why I think this is technical and also driven very much by the small caps and the mid cap stocks right now. They're holding up better. So that's IWM. So now here's the thing. It held the support that you cannot see on the chart, although you can see the double sort of double bottom of the June lows. But the 200 week, actually, you can see. So the 200 week is right above in green. And that's been the heavy resistance. Mm. SPY cleared the 200 week. Q's cleared the 200 week. The diamonds cleared the 200 week. But the Russell 2000, which is the one that you really want to clear for any hope of a soft landing and getting through all this muckery that we've gone through with yields and dollar, it has to take out that 200 week and it has to do it kind of soon, I would think, especially on the heels of all these these big names that are earning. So look for that 178 level, very, very key. And what's great is if you have a lot of cash like we do that you're waiting to put it to good use, if we break that level, you could probably say from a technical standpoint, we can go maybe 190, 195 in the small caps. So you can kind of figure out where Q's and SPY would go if they wind up leading. And if we break it, then maybe we're going to see that 10, 15% decline. So kind of right here in the middle, we're very, very patient. Yeah, that that's so helpful, Mish, because we know that a lot of people think that we're going into a very sharp recession. There are those voices who say a soft landing is possible, but you just gave us the thing to look at, the thing to look for, you know, to, a, a signal or signpost to try to figure out which way it's going to go. Because, you know, there is a lot of divided opinion. So that's going to be really helpful. I want to talk about earnings here um, because same thing, you know, there's like different camps and a lot of people are concerned and we know it's maybe not just going to be the earnings, but it's also going to be what they say, you know, what they say about inflation, what their guidance is, if they're even giving guidance. So um, let's start with tech because it's so heavy and we're hearing from those big names. Um, Is there anything you like? Are you worried about certain names that are going to disappoint? How are you approaching this? Well, right now, I'm mostly interested, really, I guess, in the two that I'd be most in terms of the big cap names coming up would be Apple and Microsoft, because they're very different, and yet they're going to tell a big story. So Apple's going to tell a big story about consumer discretionary Mm -hmm. through everything. Are people still buying um, their computers and their iPhones? Are they upgrading? Um, In terms of innovation, I really don't think that Apple is doing anything too innovative, although they already have VR glasses, which, of course, turned out to be the big problem for Zuckerberg and why Meta has gone down so much because he put so much money into these VR goggles. So I'm actually really interested in how that 
reports today. There was a lot of buying coming into that stock today, interestingly. Mm. From the Microsoft standpoint, I'm very interested because we held at 225, which is kind of where I thought to, if it broke 240, it would go. Now we're back above 240. So we're maybe building this base of support in a real big stock that's going to have a lot to do with AI and cloud computing and big data. And of course, that's also not going to go away anytime soon. So I think if we, if, with, with what I just told you about the mid, mid caps and the small caps and particularly the Russells, if the transportation can also get back to its 200 week, and also if granny retail can get back to 200 week, they may be able to do that because Apple and Microsoft have allayed a lot of fears. But that will only be, to your point, Maggie, fears mm -hmm. that's somewhat lagging, not necessarily leading going forward. And it will be interesting to see what they say. Look at Musk. I mean, he basically sent his own stock down by talking about how things are going to get so bad, even though their earnings were not so bad. So, yeah, it's yeah. going to be real interesting for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one to navigate. I noticed that you have Zion on your list. Um, what, what are you looking at there? Well, Zion is a very good, established, old bank, regional bank uh, in Utah. So, um, and it reports actually, as we're speaking, we should get the uh, earnings report on that. But on a technical standpoint, um, I thought it looked kind of interesting because even though the bank, big banks did well, the regional banks, again, have been outperforming the overall market. If we look at another one of our family members, which is KRE, if you look at that chart on the economic modern family, you'll see that never broke the 200 week, but it's still trading under the 50 week range bound. But Zion interests me because if they report well, they made a new 60 plus day low last week, rallied today into the earnings, which means again, that could be a good sign that at least that regional bank will do well. And I'm always going to be Maggie about, do you have a good risk versus your reward? And I think a risk to underneath, uh, I guess it was Thursday's low would probably be, last Thursday would probably be a, a relatively good trade. And if I may peek over for a moment, see if Zion's moving at all. I don't think their reports come out, but it closed up 4% today. Yes, I noticed that. Yeah. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So we have a question. If you have a question, by the way, you know what to do. You can put it in the comment section if you're on the website, put it in the chat if you're on YouTube, or you can put it on Twitter um, with the hashtag AskRV or tag uh, Real Vision. Um, Mahidshir is asking, what's your outlook for the end of the year in SPX? Is, is that based on what you're talking about and the importance of seeing whether the Russell can break? Is that up in the air still? Do you have a year on target? Well, again, uh, to answer the question, it's really uh, a matter of range bound even in the SPX. 3,600 mm. is super pivotal. It's pretty much where that 200 week is that it was below and then came back right through. But on the upside, you've got good resistance here initially at 3,800. Then we'll look at 4,000. 
Maybe if everything goes well, we can see 4,200, but I would probably really look to be selling uh, either anything that I'm holding long, or if I was really late to the party and selling on the last rally that we had in August, maybe that would be a, a point that I would be looking to, to uh, actually sell into. I mean, there's a big difference between a bear market rally and a bull market, the start of a new bull market. I, 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 it would really take a lot of convincing to get me to the point where I think this market has legs to go full tilt up. But that doesn't mean I don't think that there are sectors that can do well. That's always going to be the key. In the big cap 500 stocks, Fortune 500 companies, some will, like General Electric, which also I think reports this week or maybe even today, and some won't. So that remains to be seen. Yeah, but I look at that 3,600 to right now 3,800, and that gives you about as tight a range as you can for more of an active type of trading sentiment, which I hope everybody has sort of adopted this year, especially Real Vision listeners, because that's really where the money's been made is in the short term. Yeah, absolutely. And Mish has some great, some great stats and um, charts about the drawdowns, you know, not suffering through them. We talked about it in California, Mish, and, you know, the setback that just holding on through that will be. And it's because come up a lot, Mish, that we're kind of in this newer environment where you've got to be more nimble. You cannot be passive about this anymore. We're just not in that kind of environment. And, you know, it's difficult because not only are we talking about, um, you know, the company specifics, which people should be aware of and, you know, and the prospects of an individual's, uh, you know, revenue, et cetera, when you're looking at earnings. Um, and you're not just looking at inflation. You've got these massive macro, big global risk events. Um, you know, we saw what happened today in the big sell-off in Chinese tech stocks after Xi Jinping purged all the market reformers um, from party leadership. The market did not respond well to the mix they saw um, with the new Politburo. So you have, you know, you have these big geopolitical shocks, the war in Ukraine. How are you navigating around that? Well, basically, we've not really taken our eye off the ball of commodities. We're not as heavily into them as we were, obviously, as they've corrected. But um, I'm trying to keep my focus really, and well, in terms of China, what's so interesting about China is, of course, we hear all the bad stuff here in the United States. But as M M Maggie and, and Brian and I, we were talking before, uh, I did a big, big uh, dive into the Chinese economy a couple of years ago because I was asked to speak at the Bogu International Forum. And when I did that, I, it was interesting what I discovered. They're, they're very much behind us in terms of a lot of the social trends. So they're just now getting into a more of a service economy. So let's forget about that. Everybody knows the bad news. Everybody knows what happened today. And everybody knows that we don't know what's going to happen with U.S. policy or Chinese policy, trade sanctions, COVID, all their zero tolerance policy there, whether he's going to lift restrictions even more so in his own tech companies. You know, these are things we don't know. But one thing I did know from studying the trends is in this switch to service economy, we also, with their aging population, have a move more towards what we seniors have here in the United States, which is a better quality of life. So they're going to gyms and they're getting things done like plastic surgery and they're buying designer dogs and they want to live better. And so it was interesting in the sea of just horribleness of what we saw in the big crash in all the Chinese big stocks today and, and even the ETFs. One world spa, this one little tiny stock 
uh, traded up uh, today big, um, actually looks like that could act- go up higher and it reports early November. I keep an eye on that because that could be an indication, again, like we're seeing here, of a whole shift more and more into the service economy as she goes, you know, I don't want to know anything about the outside world. I just want to focus right here in China in the things that I can control. And that may be something that he will lean towards. We don't know. I just like to read the charts. And that one stood out. As yeah. OSW is the is the ticker on that, if you're interested. That is so interesting. And, and to that point, and I want to circle back with commodities in a minute, but I spoke with Victor Xi, who's a professor at UC San Diego um, and an expert on, on Chinese politics and elite uh, you know, elite politics there. And we talked about Xi's third term and what that looks like and what that could mean for markets. Let's have a listen uh, to a clip from that. Uh, I mean, despite everything, Hong Kong continues to be a major bridge between the Chinese financial system and the global one. They can always shut it down. And if they shut it down, then um, then it's fine. I mean, basically, you know, people just can't take money out of China at all. Um, and yeah, and then they will do this thing where they limit the number of students who can travel overseas, the number of tourists who can travel overseas, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we hope it doesn't get to that point. You know, obviously we like having our students from China, you know, coming, studying with us and paying tuition, mm-hmm. et cetera. But uh, it could come to that, um, you know, if the outflows are too, because I think the, the alternative, which is kind of a clean float and, you know, open up the capital account, the cost of that is just too high for China because basically you will have this kind of 30 plus percent depreciation overnight. Um, and then the problem with that is uh, the dollar value of China's economy also shrinks by 30%. And China will never catch up with the United States, which for Xi Jinping, that's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think for him, he would, he would rather have kind of a closed system that he can claim is like, oh, but we're getting more powerful, we're getting richer even though the accounting of it is very suspect because, you know, it's completely closed loop. Um, but he's fine with that, actually. Just such an interesting, fantastic conversation with Victor. That full interview is available on our website. Uh, so I encourage you to check it out. Very interesting things he had to say about Taiwan. That's very timely for today as well. Um, so Mish, it's interesting, this idea of closed loop, that really stayed with me. Um, I'm assuming that would have big implications for currencies, for commodities, you know, if, if China just becomes more and more inward looking and we see this sort of bifurcation. Well, it's actually something that's happening at- all over the world in essence. I, I, I think we talked about it a little bit when at the conference, when you had you know some of your biggest thinkers there who look at these sort of things about an anti-globalist trend yeah. that's emerging a bit. And, and it's not like we're not seeing a little bit of that here even in the United States, or at least there are signs that that could become more and more of a macro trend as we go into next year. So what, you know, what does she know is that he wants to be in control. He did some really great things in his last two terms. He'd certainly helped the middle class. There was really very little middle class, and he's created a much bigger middle class. And so it's hard to know, and that would be, I guess, his biggest reason for to keep it closed would be so that he could work on things under his control 
without the influences of the United States, which right now has been, you know, one of the big uh, thorns in his side, I'm sure, and vice versa, which brings me back to the anti-globalist. So what that might do for us is it might actually make us, as we're already starting to see with our infrastructure bill and now the move to try to create more uh, semiconductor chips here in the United States, a little bit more independent here and less dependent on Chinese imports that are cheaper, that have kept our economy going sort of artificially for all these years. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting trend we're seeing everywhere right now. Yeah. Do you, not everywhere, but there especially. Yeah, no, it, it, it is one of these big, I mean, it's, uh, geopolitics is one of our make or break, one of our pillars in that, because they, there is a sense that there is so much changing and it could have these huge knock-on effects. Are you watching the dollar? Do you feel like w- the dollar continues to strengthen from here? A lot of concerns about what that looks like, or do you think that we've sort of peaked and we're going to start to see that ease back? Well, we've already peaked. We we saw that because it went up over 114 and it hasn't traded up there since. Even last week, it got up to like close. So you're making, if you want to look at it from a chart perspective, we're making lower highs on on these bounces. And we're testing a really key area here around this 112 level. So I always like to lead with the text because I'm a commodities trader. I come from the floor. I didn't have all this information at my fingertips. I just trade off the price and then I go, oh, that's interesting. They just said that on the news. But now that with so many years later, I can say that I was already thinking this and now the charts might actually be confirming, which is, I don't want to get into this whole macro thing because I'd love to talk about that with you. I know we don't have time today, but one of my biggest concerns is the dollar Mm. and that as much as that has been the big safety play throughout this whole down move that we've seen this year, if even with yields rising and the long bond yields rising and that curve actually starting to flip a little bit, if the dollar continues to decline, what does that mean? And to me, it means that there's a credibility factor that's starting to slip in terms of how the United States is handling everything from Mm -hmm. its geopolitics to its own spending, to our own politics, considering we're coming up to midterm, to the social unrest, et cetera, et cetera, to the fact of even our energy policies without trying to take aside, just in, in terms of releasing all of our own strategic reserves, hoping to buy back oil lower when we have the Saudis and OPEC saying, you know, we're not even going to, to, to increase production. We're only going to continue to decrease it because there isn't that much oil. All of these things, when you start putting them together and you look at the dollar as the best barometer, has me a little bit worried and we can, again, we'll talk about mm, this, but yeah. I'm working on my big outlook for 2023 that's really called looking for inflation in all the wrong places. And the dollar is going to be big there. So watch that 112, especially as we close this month out. That's awesome. And yeah, we will definitely talk more about that um, as we come into the year end. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So I have a question from Ralph. 
Uh, given Mish's background, I have to ask about commodities, of course. <laughs> is she bullish or bearish on sugar, wheat, soybeans, cocoa, coffee, and the DBA? Okay. Well, Ralph, thank you for that question. If you look again, let's go technical, right? If you look at those charts versus, let's say, the SPY, they've corrected, of course, but they're not at new um, multi-year lows. They're actually just corrected, period. I mean, that's it. So uh, I think that really what's going to be the big key when it comes to especially the food and the soft commodities is something we can't really say, but obviously weather patterns are going to be huge. And I read probably, I think, one of the scariest stories I read was that the Mississippi River, the river that separates the east from the west, which we all learned in grade school, was is, is, is at a, a historical, as long as they've been keeping record low in terms of water level, down almost 11 feet. Mm. So in those areas around, if we have a, a, a dry winter, that could be a problem. And then we have California still getting ready for fires now. And then you have flooding. Like if you look at countries like Pakistan, you know, where they, my God, they just had this insane, also record flooding. So Mother Nature is going to have to be a big factor in this. But even if, even if things calm down from a weather perspective, we still have done so much damage everywhere. I was reading today that just the delivery of soybeans to the Pacific North, from the Pacific Northwest to the Gulf countries is at 40%, uh, which is down from 47% a year ago in the same two week period, right? So I follow this guy, Arlen Soderman, by the way, who's he's a real grains guy. So he's, he's, you know, he's kind of boots on the ground grains guy. I'm more of a speculator. But if you look at all of that, that tells me that we're not done with food, not to mention the stress that we're having in other countries that are having food shortages. Uh, I just read turkey prices for Thanksgiving are up like, I think it was like insane, like 73% from a year ago, not expected. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it, that's why- You're going to have so to start eating something else. <laughs> well, <laughs> you have to I'm change thinking, the, the holiday bird. I know, I'm speaking to a vegetarian. So <laughs> you're, you're, of course, you're already ahead of the trend. Yes, I'm, and and I'm, by the way, I'm so, so like just totally- forgotten about beyond meat that stock has just been pathetic oh i, mean, I know they, that they, was they I, I, always, I remember that was one of your let, let's get let's see if i can let's squeeze wait, a go back questions. so okay so let's look at dba so yeah. when we talked last time maggie and go back to ralph's question it was trading at around 20 dollars. guess where it closed today 20 dollars. so hmm. it really hasn't gone anywhere which tells me that what's going to be little catalyst whether it's mother nature whether it's food hoarding whether it's geopolitics whether it's an outbreak or china all of a sudden has huge demands because it does need to bring food in from other countries china has its arms in a lot of food producing countries mm. um and because they need food to feed yeah. their one and a half billion people whatever it is even if he wants to be close society he you can't be closed when it comes to feeding your people right, right. If, especially if you can't grow all those things fast enough. So I'd keep my eye on DBA as the big kingpin has an actual interest rate part to it and sugar. So I'm so glad you, I'm watching sugar. It's trading between on the continuous contract, really like 18 to 19 cents. So, a so you're looking for, you're, they're kind of primed for a breakout and the breakout would most likely be up. 
based on it wouldn't need too much of a catalyst. Exactly. This whole idea of demand destruction and disinflation is in certain parts, of course. But in terms of the actual pause, uh, more of a contraction in, in, in the next leg up of inflation, it's going to be for different reasons than what we saw on the inflation of 2021. This is going to mm. be, uh, I think, more stressful in, in essence and less controllable and will eventually fizzle out. But I don't see any real end in sight to this inflationary cycle till about 2024, 2025. Wow. So I think that you know, I'm going to squeeze one more question in, but I'm going to do my takeaway right now, which is that, you know, as usual, I think, especially with your background, Mish, you're, you're excellent at helping us signpost what we need to look for, because we are at this sort of important point. It's not clear what direction we're going in. Um, we're kind of, I, I guess, like sort of idling here. But if we're going to see a breakout, food you like, uh, look for the Russell as a signal that will either confirm that a soft landing is possible, even though the Fed has a terrible track record at that, <laughs> or that we are in for you know a more difficult recessionary time, and that you're going to have to really beware. Um, so those are those are my two takeaways of two things to really watch. One more question I want to get in from Alfred: As the dollar eases, what does this mean for big retailers? I I saw you also had some retail on your list that you were watching for earnings, right? Yeah, well, I think, I, you know, one of the things that's fascinating me right now is how I'm seeing a shift in spending habits, because one of the earnings that came out great were the airlines, right? And yeah. even though they're making policies, like I read today, American Airlines is getting rid of first class. The fact is, is that people are traveling like crazy, not spending as much in stores, mm -hmm. but traveling like crazy. But then you saw this big pop in Walmart, Costco, Target today. So people have staples shopping, of course, and seasonally they're going to shop. So I would say that I would think the declining dollar to a point helps equities, but it also really helps commodities. Mm -hmm. And we can't afford as consumers for commodities to get much more expensive. So the staples, these staples will do well for now. Travel is going to continue to do well because it seems to me like everybody wants to travel no matter what. They may not want to go to a restaurant, but they want to travel. Yeah. So I would stick with those trends as they're going. But if that, watch that dollar, because if that dollar continues to break, and you start to see commodities spiking up again with shortages still out there, with supply chain still a problem, then those consumers will pull back even further. And that's yeah. what's going to happen. And people can only be pushed so far. And that's kind of what I also worry about sometimes. Yeah, no, good, great point about, you know, the commodities being being maybe the place to look on that weaker dollar. Um, you know, if it's going down, it's probably because there's, you know, there's a slowing economy and a Fed pivoting and a lot of other problems that are present, you know, whereas the commodity, you got that supply story backing it up. Mish, we barely have time to scratch the surface always when we're with you, but we covered an awful lot of ground today. So we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Maggie. Thank and you, we will everyone. get together and have that big think, big macro think for, for your trends for 2023. I look forward to that. Me Thanks too. to all of you for joining us as well and the great questions. We will be back tomorrow. I'll be here with Mark Ritchie. Uh, so please join us for that. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, Head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. 
Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.